The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. If you are listening to us on your podcast device, please hop on over and watch make a contribution to the mailbag. Uh, the five-star mailbag, of course. You leave a five-star rating and a review. Can be nice, can be criticism. Uh, it seems that right now the enemy of uh, the army <laughs> of Cover 3 listeners is, uh, is an internet connection. So uh, maybe you want to vent your frustration there, but include your questions and it will be used in a future mailbag episode. It will be added to the big old bag of mail. Now, also, full episodes in video for multi-platform excellence, youtube.com slash cover three and in the CBS Sports app on your Apple TV, Roku device, whatever you're using for OTT, in the CBS Sports app, you can find full video episodes of the Cover 3 podcast like this and the many others, which for this week, we got Pac-12 win totals coming. We got some massive games coming up this weekend. Uh, so another exciting week, as always, on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, before we get out of here, we have, uh, yes, we're going to check in on uh, the the heats on some seats for some big time coaches across college football at big time programs. So um, a look at the rankings, uh, you know, the, the AP poll poll reaction and the CBS sports rankings, um, some takeaways and some talking points off that. Uh, and as well as uh, we've got some notable opt outs from across the country, all that and much more. But I wanted to begin uh, with some headlines that we've got coming out of Georgia, our beloved dogs, uh, because we've got, I mean, the SEC on CBS game of the week, it's it's Florida, Georgia. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. We hope it is not the world's largest outdoor COVID party, but you know, the, how, how, how it's handled, that's, that's yet to be seen by, uh, by all the fans and anybody who is in and around the Jacksonville area. The Georgia Bulldogs right now are starting to get, uh, Things are starting to get a little thin on defense. Uh, Jordan Davis could miss this game. Richard LeCount could be out for a few weeks. Um, We're starting to all of a sudden see what was described by Rusty Mansell and others as just like one of the deepest and most talented defenses in the country starting to get a little bit thin. And 
when we're talking about matching up against Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, the Super Swamp Brothers, and this Florida offense, could be a little bit concerning. Uh, where's where's the level of alarm? I guess, like, Barton, where's the level of alarm right now? Do you think that the Bulldogs still have uh, enough to be able to cycle in guys and be able to have uh, have a defense that can win in Jacksonville on Saturday? Yeah, I think they do. I think that the, the – I mean – Florida is going to have to find some offense regardless. Like I, I understand that the defense is, is taking a few hits and I understand that the defense won't be at full strength. Um, but I think the defense is still good enough. I think the defense against this Florida team wasn't going to be enough anyway. I, I think that the offense had to sort of get, get things rolling. So like, I just think this is still a good. Maybe it's a, you know, Florida's defense typically plays at a 10. You know, maybe this one plays at a nine. I think you can, it's, it sort of is, is negligible. My expectation, look, I'm not saying like Jordan Davis is a big miss. Like that, that's, that's a big deal. Richard LeCount, that's a big deal. Um, I think they've got enough good players otherwise to, to be okay. I'm just not, it doesn't change my perspective of the game. I don't know who I'm picking, but if I was going to pick Florida before, I'm still going to pick Florida now. If I was going to pick Georgia before, I'm still going to pick Georgia now because that means that I was comfortable with, with Georgia's quarterback, comfortable with Georgia's offense. Um, I haven't come to that conclusion, but but that's that's I think the the sort of the decision you're making when you're assessing this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty much 100 with you because my concern with this matchup for Georgia and yeah, like losing those guys on defense does not help their chances to win, but the defense is not what I've been worried about at all with Georgia. I'm worried about, you know, the offense that ranks, what is it? Let me see 12th in the sec in passer efficiency. Like if you look at the bottom of the league, first of all, there's Mississippi state and dead last, which is ironic and funny right ahead of them is Kentucky. And just like this much ahead of Kentucky's passer rating is Georgia now. So for me, it's like if Georgia's going to beat Florida, they need to get much better offensively than they have been to this point. That said, playing Florida's defense, you would think would help it. But again, as we talked about on the reaction pod on Saturday, Florida's defense played pretty well against Mizzou on Saturday. So I don't know if that's a sign of things to come or if that's just like a one game kind of outlier, but my problem with Georgia all year and our problem with Georgia last year and that we thought it had been solved over the offseason was can this team score enough points to win these kind of games? And at this point so far this year, it has not shown me any sign that it can score enough points to win these kind of games. So I don't know what I'm picking yet either, but I have a good idea of what side I'm going to end up picking here. I, um, I think if you're Georgia, the only way you beat Florida is to keep this a low-scoring affair. And that requires your defense to be at full strength. So I do think these injuries should be a massive concern if you're a Georgia fan. Um, and I kind of like when I – so today I watched a bunch of Stetson Bennett um, film. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, well, Jeez. So we're doing you. a preview for the TV <laughs> side. Uh, this weekend, like previewing the game. So they're like, hey, can you give me some Trask, you know, breakdowns and some Stetson Bennett breakdowns? And like, I, I actually, so I was writing stuff down, taking notes and jotting down plays. So my mindset when I went in was like lack of arm strength and 
uh, forces too many balls, like too much of a gunslinger. So I found like instantly, like within five minutes, I found like three plays. Like it was happening too fast. And then I was like, oh, wait, he's also getting balls batted down. So like he not only is small, but he plays small. So like I, and like more issues were cropping up. So I felt like it, I actually, at the end of our, at the end of my tape session, like I put down all these plays and I was like, I feel kind of bad. Like I'm burying this kid. Like he has made some nice plays, but it is an issue. It is a real issue for, for uh, Georgia's offense. If I'm Florida, and this, I know this kind of delves away from the defensive concerns, but if I'm Florida, you know what helps your defense? If you focus on one thing and you stop that, I would absolutely sell out to stop that run game and man up on the outside and say, go ahead, Stetson Bennett, beat us. Like, and, and then it makes it, it's not going to be easy to slow down Georgia's rushing attack, but it makes it a whole lot easier when you're not really worried about getting beat on the outside. And maybe that, you know, that, that risk reward can burn you. You might give up a big play, but I also think with Georgia's defense getting battered, you're going to probably put up some points and that favors Florida. Of course, you got to remember who you're talking to. This is Gator Dan talking here. So like in case it's been clear, like what side I'm on, you guys know I've been bullish on the Gators and I felt even more so like the last couple of weeks have unfolded really since the Bama game uh, with Georgia. See, I think this is a really big deal. I think that uh, I, Richard LeCount, top three safety in the country. Maybe. I mean, he's an all-American candidate at the safety position. And we're talking about the best tight end in the country. Again, Richard LeCount wasn't going to one-on-one matchup against Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts gets moved all around in the offense, plays a lot of different positions in the way that they sort of scheme it up. But, man, like I, I really think that you wanted to have him there. And it stinks because uh, he was uh, – what was it? He was driving his motorcycle, right? And he got hit by Dirt another – I think, wasn't it? got hit by a car like that stinks like I I really hope that he's able to make his way back but that's just that that's a big time loss Jordan Davis is like what was is Jordan Davis one of the three stars that uh ended up being being hit is three yeah yeah like Jordan might be a first round draft pick just Mm -hmm. the way that he's developed and the way that he's performed like I think that I think this is big time setbacks and I cannot wait for the heroic performance by Georgia when they win on Saturday and just the way that they're going to rally behind all these losses and be able to get over uh, on the Gators who are going to come in with way too much confidence per usual did we decide that we weren't what was was it uh the reaction pod over the weekend where we decided we're not a Georgia pod anymore I decided we're not a Georgia pod Tom's off the train (laughs) I'm yeah. not. So, you're, 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 I was about to jump off after Arkansas. You're hanging on. Danny was never really on it. He, this is Gator Dan we're talking to over here. I like. I actually, I, I was willing to give Georgia a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt if they could. But, uh, but that Kentucky game, that might have kicked me off too mm-hmm. because here we are. And I just, I think to be a Georgia pod, you have to have confidence that they can go into blind confidence that your offense that hasn't looked dynamic and your defense that's banged up is going to go into this game when Florida smells blood in the water and can absolutely pull this thing away. Yeah. I, I understand yeah. where I'm at. I've, I've gone in the Podstradamus have- chamber and I've tried to envision this game and play it out. And the, the versions that end up with the Georgia win 
require a lot of unlikely scenarios. You're good. You've just got, you've just taken it very personal. The way the Florida fans yeah. have not appreciated your Georgia poddom. I I am just in a very honest place now. Like as this game approaches, without digging into the 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 matchups and the personnel and just on very surface reaction level blink type of commentary. Florida certainly feels like the better team. Mm -hmm. And that, that is, um, that ain't Disney dog. That's not, that's not what Disney dog says. And so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to worry about my, my Georgia fandom. Yeah. Cause, cause again, to reiterate what I was saying on Saturday night, why were Georgia fans mad at us all last year? Why did Georgia fans feel like we were mean to Georgia? We were down on Georgia. We were an anti-Georgia pot because our problem with them was no matter how good they were or how many games they were winning, we said with that offense and the way they play, there's no way in the world that they're going to be able to do anything. And that's what made Georgia fans mad with us. So then we said, if they make these changes on offense specifically, we'll get behind them. And then in the offseason, that's looked like what they were doing. They brought in Todd Munkin with the idea they were going to revolutionize the offense. They brought in Jamie Newman. Then they brought in JT Daniels. It's like, man, they're going 100% all in on this. And then Jamie Newman opts out. We have yet to see JT Daniels. And Kirby or whatever is happening is like, nope, we're just going to hand the ball off 40 times a game and throw a little five-yard slants, and we are not going to push the ball vertically. They're playing exactly like they did last year, the team we were anti. So if I'm being honest with myself, I can't sit here and be a Georgia pod guy anymore. It's done. Until that shows up, I'm out. I just right. that, That's it. That's it. I'm out. I'm out, too. I'm just out. That was that. was You're right. That was the reason we were a Georgia pod. Mm-hmm. We, were the re- we were a Georgia pod because we believed – and some of the the evolutions that were taking place, and here we are, and it's the same. It's the same team. So, and it's I, like a junior I'm Jake Fromm playing QB now. It's not even Jake Fromm. It's like a lesser Jake Fromm. Blind faith. Have at it, Chip. Yeah. You're I'm, if you're a Georgia one. fan, if you're a Georgia fan, I can understand being frustrated and saying, "So what? We've owned this rivalry the last five or six years." They can't be like, we haven't had anything better. Like, this is what we are. We beat them anyway. I, so, like, I, I, I think this is a fascinating stat. Do you guys realize how many 300-yard passing games they've had in the last three years? Georgia? You just, just that's all. That's all you have to do. 300 yards passing. That's it. Just go over the 300-yard mark. I would guess um, four. Like, I low, I'd, say, I'd say lower than that. Chip nailed it. Last year, they had one with Jake Fromm versus Arkansas State. 2018, they had two, one versus Vanderbilt. The other was 301 performance versus Bama. And in 2017, there was one versus Missouri. It's just not who they are. And like I think we all bought into this is going to be this year's LSU. New NFL-style coordinator, uh, you know, transfer quarterback, and – it hasn't panned out that way. But I think if you're Georgia, you're still hanging on to, we don't even need all that. And maybe you don't versus Florida, but you better believe you're going to need it versus Bama, yeah. which we already saw. To, to be clear, I, I, I'm off the Georgia pod. I, I'm not saying Georgia can't beat Florida this weekend. Georgia can 100% beat Florida. But until Georgia changes, I'm not changing my overall opinion of the, the program ceiling, which is what brought us in. So, yeah, no, mm-hmm. you're, you're 100% right, Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Georgia's got to meet us in the middle, you know? <laughs> We, we stepped out, tried to meet Georgia in the middle, and they didn't, they didn't take a step forward for us. 
I'm in, I'm in an abusive Emma's relationship with Georgia right now. You are. Georgia's yeah. not giving anything back, and I'm yeah. just going to stay chip. loyal. I'm just, I'm just saying one of these teams has a championship mindset and the other doesn't. You know? Player discipline. COVID. Coach discipline. <laughs> Coach <laughs> discipline. Getting on the field. Getting yeah. a little crazy. Uh, just crazy. I was just looking this up because I was uh, uh, looking up stats. Alabama has had four 400-yard passing games this year. Yes. That's insane. That's insane to me, like how the difference in dynamic and the evolution of Bama. Mm. Bama was built the dynasty with what they with what Kirby Smart is trying to do now. But then Nick Saban extended the dynasty by evolving. Like that's what that's what Georgia has to do. So like, I've got I've got a theory. I got a theory that you so you remember like there there was this movement of offensive coaches, and there was this movement of like um, you know. Big 12, sort of. Well, they're like scoring Dana? all these points. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and they're scoring all these points. And oh, but they're like, they're scoring points, but they're leaving their, their uh, uh, defense vulnerable. And so they're not, it's really like a selfish approach. It's this offensive mindset where defense, you're on your own, you figure it out. And I, as the offensive guru, am all about getting yards and getting points. And whether I win or not, like, that doesn't really matter. And, and that's all just sort of, again, this is a sort of perception, right? And so then I think obviously it's become more mainstream now to be a little more offensive minded, offensive focused uh, to, to sort of expose your defense a little bit more at the expense of um, points. And so I, I think now it's shifted a little bit because there's still Kirby Smart still out there and Will Muschamps of the world and, and Jeremy Pruitt's and some of these old head defensive guys. And I, I, those guys in some cases – are unwilling to compromise and move towards the offensive approach because they're now, now I think they're kind of sacrificing um, the, the likelihood of a win for the sake of playing their style of football. Like they don't want to give to the offense because they only know like in their head, they're programmed to win a certain way, which is trenches like defense. And like, we're not going to get in these basketball and grass, you know, shootouts. Well, the, the people that are winning national championships are getting in some of those shootouts. And so I think that there is a, a realization that needs to take place somewhere here for, for uh, some of these coaches, Kirby Smart included, in terms of like what it means to win games today in college football. There yeah, was the, like, oh, go ahead. I was, was going to say, I'm, I'm all for taking a contrarian approach at times, particularly with like style of football. But like I've, I've always said that there should always be like the, the bad teams in every power five conference, the teams that are never going to be anything more than mediocre, like, you know, your Vanderbilt's programs like that. I've always said that they should be running the option like Georgia Tech had been because it kind of neutralizes things or gives you a better op and better chance to compete on a weekly basis. But the teams that are supposed to be doing that, going the opposite way, are not the teams that have the talent that Georgia has. Like the contrarian option is to take advantage of a talent gap. When you're Georgia and you have that talent, you need to be playing the same modern kind of game because the way that they're playing is just not where football is now. It's not the sport anymore. It kind of sucks for those coaches who have a specific kind of way of doing it in a way of the, you know, the belief that they were raised in coaching. But you have to evolve, man. Mm. Sorry, Chip. It's okay. It's, been a, it's been a tough segment for you. Championship mindset. See what Chip's, happens. I could see Chip after the show just washing off his red and black face paint, sadly looking in the mirror like <sighs> those those shoulder pads with spikes on them. Got to hang them up. <laughs> but the re, like the, again, 
I, I haven't made a decision on who I'm picking to win the game this weekend. I well, see. I, the thing truly. is, is I have, I, tr- I really, I, I dug into it and everything sensible comes up Florida and really? I'm going to choose Georgia. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just, <laughs> and, and, does it be funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone is going to be out here. For, I mean, Florida's at four and a half right now. We're going to do early line look aheads later. That it is going to be a trendy dog. It's going to be a trendy, trendy underdog pick. Florida's a four and a half dog right now? Yeah. Mm, interesting. So we'll see. All right. We'll, early Everybody line. opens their account real quick. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, oh. Early line look aheads will, will, will come later. Uh, an update from pit coach Pat Narduzzi on Monday. The Panthers defense takes a massive hit as uh, Paris Ford has opted out for the remainder of the season. He currently leads the Panthers in both tackles and interceptions. He led the team in tackles and interceptions last year. He's one of the best. We mentioned one of the top three or four safeties in the country. I think that Paris Ford also has uh, has that sort of designation. He is going to be an NFL draft pick. And so, you know, opting out to prepare for the NFL draft is also, you know, opting out uh, on your on the team and on the season. Uh, I don't know, man. There's, I've got two instant reactions. I know Bart, Barton, you want to get into this, but like, I'm, I'm almost a little bit too much of an apologist because playing for Pat Narduzzi in the midst of a four game losing streak might be the line that you'd be like, I don't know, man, this ain't it. And again, like, I, I don't know. I'm just knowing Pat Narduzzi, knowing that pit program, no, after starting three and zero, then losing four straight, and a bunch of them were like one point losses. I can't imagine the vibes are good uh, inside that locker room. But Barton, what'd you make of the of the news? Well, I, I just found like I, I so he announced. I, I'm sorry. Was there a? Did you guys see a, some sort of a release or a Twitter like announcement or anything like that? Did he did he give specific reasons for his opt out? No. Narduzzi confirmed to ESPN, the Pittsburgh Sports News and uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette both reported it, and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette report included uh, COVID-19 concerns contributed to Ford's decision, but not that it was the reason. Right, okay. So, obviously, we're in this COVID COVID year, this, this weird COVID year, and we have had a lot of people opt out for COVID reasons. Um. I am not equipped, nor do I want to judge anyone for their reasons for opting out of a season, particularly in a year like this. So I don't even want to make this really about Paris Ford. Um, But the reality is like he's played seven games at this point. Um, And COVID, like he was cool with COVID for seven games. Um, Then there's a four game losing streak and he's opting out and and again, like I really am not trying to make this specific to Paris Ford other than this season has offered uh, almost like a cover for some guys if they do want to opt out, if they do want to just say, you know what, like this, this, is, this isn't fun anymore. And if this was a typical year and Paris Ford, a potential All-American safety, seven games in, and his team was three and four, and this is just a normal season, if he was just like, nah, I'm out, then that would be like, like groundbreaking, like unheard of. And there's this sort of normalization of it this year. And I, I think that 
you like I think that this could become something because it's become such a sort of standard up. He opts out up like just a sort of a passing headline player opts out. I think it could start to be something you see in the future beyond the COVID world. And I, I think that this, because ultimately, well, you do, you, I op- saw, you opt out of bowl games, players opt out of bowl games every single season. So I it's mean, already started. Or, it's definitely already started. Or what if you get a hernia surgery or whatever injury? Hey, I pulled my, like, there's always excuses that can provide cover if you want to opt out, quit on your team. There always is like you, you know, that's just the way it is. This is the new normal. This is, this absolutely opens up the opportunity because as Chip pointed out, we've already seen guys do that. And because of the pay the players debate, you can't really get up here and and crush them, which I get, but they're quitting on their teammates. I mean, that's, I mean, I I was raised a certain way. This is where I sound like the old guy, but I was raised and I teach my daughters this way. So it's not like it's something that I'm just giving up on. But I teach my daughter's playing basketball right now. She's in uh, seventh grade. She plays junior high basketball. And she's, you know, halfway through her season. She's like, I'm not playing very much. I'm not having very much fun. And I was like, what do you want to do? She's like, I'll finish, you know, because I have to. Like, she knows she's not quitting on the team. Like, she, that's ever since she was four starting soccer. That's the way I was raised. You don't quit on your teammates. I do think this is quitting. But we do call it opting out. And we do provide the cover of, well, you want to go to the NFL? Like it's we can't pay them, so it's hard to criticize. Like this is a business decision, and the money is so big, so it does become a business decision a lot. So it's a very complex, nuanced issue that I think coaches have to manage. Because can you imagine if a coach criticizes a player that opts out? Like there goes his recruiting classes. Like forget it. Like you can't recruit to a place if you don't say it's okay for a player to opt out. It's it's a complex issue. See, that's the thing. I don't even think it's that complex. I think you're right. It's both quitting on your team and it's also a smart business decision for some players. That That's the whole thing. And it's finding that balance in between it. I don't know, but I, I agree. I don't think this is a new thing. I think this is just the next step in what is something that had already started and what is likely going to be something that we continue to see. Because, I mean... Wasn't it was, tiny injuries with Fournette down yeah, the stretch like Fournette, of the season? Fournette had like a sprained ankle for like three and a half months. And, and that's I mean, what I think also will provide some, if anybody yeah. ever has criticized, they'll just you and I'm, and I'm not using Fournette saying he was faking it, but other guys will say, Oh, I got this ankle issue. I got a shoulder. I got to get this, you know, I'm just going to take off and, you know, get healthy. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I, but I don't, I, <laughs> I don't like it either. I, I don't, I, I agree with you. I feel like it's quitting on your team and I don't like it, but I don't really hold it against them too much at the same time. And maybe that's really part of the problem because we know NFL teams aren't going to hold it against them. NFL teams aren't going to give the slightest crap about whether or not you quit halfway during the year. All they want to know about is what you're going to be able to do for them. And can you do it at a small cap number while they're doing it before they move on and move on to the next guy? So if you were a top 15 guy, I think once yeah. you start becoming a guy who's second, third rounder, then it starts becoming, oh, this guy didn't want to play. Then I think it does become more of a question mark for coaches and scouts at the NFL level. I, I think, you know, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Leonard Fournette, you know, done. And I do think that you've seen some of Leonard Fournette's. I remember this is injury or if it's desire. Like he hasn't exactly been a smashing success at the NFL. So, and, but then Christian McCaffrey has, so there's, there's always going to be overreaction. There's going to be over analysis. It's just 
the reality of the situation right now. But I will say this because people are like, hey, we should pay them, we should pay them, we should pay them. They're never going to make enough money where it's the business decision is to stay the whole year, whether they're getting paid or not. Like whether the name, image, and likeness, they might make a few extra bucks. And we talked about that last week. But even if they were flat out paid, it'll always be a better business decision to opt out for the much, much bigger money in the NFL. So the Kylan Hill decision also falls into the quitting on your team. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time. (laughs) Because I think some of this comes back on the coaches. Like if you don't want your players to opt out, that falls on coaching to me and your ability to keep the players engaged and keep them dialed in. And, you know, if you are losing uh, the list, like in this particular instance, Paris Ford, they called him the energy guy on the sidelines. Like he was like a real leader, like somebody who they counted on not only being the team leader in tackles and interceptions, but in a lot of that just sort of intangibles. That was one of the conversations uh, even Pat Narduzzi himself was talking about with no fans in the stands, he says, we count on guys like Paris to be able to keep the team juiced and energized. And I don't know when, when somebody who plays that role has decided to, to to take some time away from the team. I think it reflects a little bit on the coaching or the coaching staff. The fact that uh, you, you know, you have clearly lost uh, one of the most important voices in that locker room as they've decided like, you know what, this, this isn't worth it. Like you, you have to be, uh, you, the modern coach has to understand relationships with his players. You can't just be a break them down to build them up. You've got to be able to have those conversations. And so I don't, I think you got to handle them with kick gloves. Like you gotta, you gotta baby them. Like you have to, you cannot coach hard anymore. Like you, like it's, let's look at Pat Pat Narduzzi. You think he's getting more likable or less likable as they lose four in a row, you know, and that's going to be, and that's not only Pat Narduzzi, that's any coach. And that's when you start, you know, Mike Leach, He's quirky. He's fun. They've lose, lost a few games. He's going to tell it like it is. He's not going to change. So he's got to get players that understand that. That's part of that purge that he's talking about. But a lot of like, I think, and there is no sympathy for coaches. They make millions of dollars. I think it's harder than ever to coach today. And it's not because X and O's. It's because you have to massage the relationship and you have to you know, manage those much differently than you did even just 10 years ago. But I disagree. You can't coach them hard. I think you can coach them hard but there has to be, there has to be a, a, a deeper relationship beyond just Screaming. cussing them out in practice mm-hmm. and then, you know, getting in the film room. Like there's Saving just a, coaches there, hard. <laughs> there's, there's more there. There's, and, and there's just more to coaching right now. Um, and Pat Narduzzi doesn't strike me as someone that's necessarily um, going to like lean into the nuance of like, coaching someone hard and then making sure that like he knows what kind of problems they're dealing with on the uh, off the field. And that maybe that's not fair. Like I'm not, that, that, that's, I'm not trying to call out Pat Narduzzi here in this. I just think, yes, it is a more, it's a much more nuanced coaching approach in a, in a modern day football than you've had to have in the past, which is I think why you're seeing success from a guy like Jeff Halfley, who comes from this like more young, um, uh, you know, relationship-based uh, belief within the program kind of approach. And I think that those are the type of guys that are going to be the prototype for the successful coaches in this new new generation. I, I do want to say one thing we should consider too, and it's something we kind of mentioned, you know, before the season really got going. Like, I don't think that this is the start of a trend. I think that it might be, we might see a spike. Oh, maybe that's a bad 
choice of words, but we might we might see a spike in the amount of numbers doing it this year because of the situation. Because let's remember, like we talked about before the season began, at some point, the conditions that these kids have to play in this year in particular, with all the extra guidelines that are put on them, with all the constant testing, with everything that they can't do. And then if one of their teammates screws up or makes a mistake or just gets it while doing everything right and they talk to them and like Barton, you've told us they got to go sit in a hotel for 10 days by them damn selves. At some point, this is probably wearing on them mentally. And if you repair us for it or you're anybody, maybe after seven games, it's like, I just, I don't want to do this. It's not worth it to me, especially if you're on a team that's lost four in a row. Like I'm going to go to a bubble in Bradenton and just work out. I, again, I, I still think it's quitting on your team, but I, I think that that plays that's going to play a role in this year as well, where it's just the mental grind of having to deal with all the shit you have to deal with this year that you didn't have to deal with last year. It's just for some guys, it's going to be like, man, I'm done. I'm that's out. Fair. That's a fair point. That, that mm-hmm. could be an argument for this not being, uh, you know, just absolutely normal, commonplace in future years, because that, that's fair. I mean, they are. This is more taxing than typical. If you want to get in on the opportunity to get some guaranteed money, that's right. We're giving away $1,000 guaranteed every week in the new cbsports.com college pick'em. All you got to do is go to cbsports.com slash college. The contest opens every Tuesday and it runs until noon on Saturday. It's about 10 to 15 of the best college football games. You make your picks against the spread, different slate each week based on the games. And then your entry is now in there and you've got a shot to give away. You've got a shot to get some of the thousand dollars guaranteed that we're giving away every single week. Once again, it's cbsports.com slash college. I don't know if Pitt, Florida State will be included as one of the 10 to 15 best games of the slate. There are much bigger games out there, but uh, I mean, the Florida, Georgia, SEC on CBS game of the week, Clemson, Notre Dame. I mean, we've got just some massive ones and you can get entries in uh, starting on Tuesday, runs up until noon on Saturday. Pick all the games listed against the spread. You've got a shot to get some of the $1,000 that are being given away, guaranteed, every single week. Once again, that is cbssports.com slash college. Coming up on the other side, taking a look at the college football rankings. We've got some questions. And how does it feel in the pants of Tom Herman and Jim Harbaugh? Next that was that was odd phrasing. How does it feel in them pants? <laughs> the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, 
marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Turning our attention to the new set of college football rankings. A little headline. Woo, woo. CBS Sports 127. It's got a new number one. We saw in the coaches poll and the AP poll, uh, Alabama started picking up some more first place votes. And the change has happened at the CBS Sports 127, the premier ranking system in college football. Alabama takes over as the new number one uh, team in the country. Not do they deserve it, but who do y'all have as your number one team in the country? Bama. Bama. And I've had Bama at mind for a while since the Georgia win. Me too. That's when I switched them to. It what? was, uh, it, I think it was, and I, I flipped them back and forth. Um, but now I've had them in there for three weeks, I think, for, for Bama at number one. I mean, I just think that Clemson does have some weaknesses that were on display, not only this week, but, you know, it's their schedule's not as impressive. If you take in everything, if you take resume, if you take, better receiving options, even without Jalen Waddell. Um, I just think Bama's is, is better. And, uh, you know, the AP uh, votes are starting to close the gap as well. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, let's see if Clemson goes out and blows out Notre Dame, you know, that, that would add to their resume and maybe I flip flop again, but right now, as it sits now, I think Bama deserves that number one spot. Mm-hmm. What does Ohio state have to do? Do they just need more games? Are y'all just sort of waiting on getting more data for the analysis? Based on what I have seen from the Big Ten so far, I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to climb past Clemson or Alabama in my rankings unless one of them loses. Because I just don't see an opponent on Ohio State's schedule this year that makes you say, okay, that's a better win than anything Alabama has or Clemson has. I think they're solidly number three. What if Penn Penn State could just start boat racing people and then that retroactively gives them a pretty pretty good win, right? It could, but they beat Penn state when Penn state wasn't the team boat racing people, you know, yeah, what, but what does mean? that matter? Does that, does right. that matter? It should look better. You're right. I, it I get looks better, but I still evaluate it based on how the team was playing at the time, because if Penn state's playing great in the end of November, that has no bearing on the team that Ohio state beat at the end of October. Well, my point is Penn, like Penn state is, could be playing pretty well right now. Like they, the fact, like what if Indiana is really good? What if Indiana turns out to be a really good team and this, and this Penn state team held it to a, 111 yards prior to the, the final drive of the of the, the the game. Like they held, they then played maybe, within 13 but, points of Ohio State. And if Penn, if this same like my point is, Penn State has played two good teams. It lost both times, but like I, I think everyone would agree that Penn State was a better team than Indiana and would win the majority of a 10 game series, maybe significantly so. And they. You know, no one expected them to beat Ohio State. So my, I guess my, my point is Penn State then with those two, neither of those looked bad and they could just roll out the rest of the year and start blowing people out. That doesn't that you don't then retroactively think that that week two win over Penn State is, is better than it no, is currently. It plays a role in my thought process. But let's say Penn State, you know, balls out, wins out from this point on. Is a win over a six and two Penn State team really that much better than a win over a six and two Georgia team or what could be a seven and one Notre Dame team in your mind? Clear Not enough. Better, that overall, but it, but isn't it isn't it helps in the conversation? Is it, is it, yeah, isn't okay, it? Okay, well, who's the second similar? game then? 
because Alabama still has to play Texas A&M. Alabama is going to be playing Auburn. Clemson's playing Notre Dame at least once. It might play it twice. It's but, also got a top 10 win over Miami. What is Ohio State's number two win after Penn State? Is I mean, it going to be a Michigan team that just lost to Michigan State? I don't know. It depends on what if Michigan looks out. like. Right. If like, Michigan I, fixes issues. That, that's the thing here is like, I, I'm not convinced that, like, I, we were having a, t- a t- uh, talk in the 24-7 Slack room today, and we were talking about Texas A&M, and I think Texas A&M is probably the second best team in the West, but I'm not convinced Texas A&M is very good. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm not, I mean, defensively, the, it has issues for sure. The, the, the SEC, I, I just don't like Auburn is not, you can't, I, I don't think you can pound your chest about an Auburn win. I don't think you certainly can't pound your chest about an LSU win right now. But can you, can, you pound your chest over an Indiana win or not, a Michigan state win or, or a Maryland win? I don't know. I don't, I mean, we'll see. But my point is, I don't think that, I, I don't think that, that like the SEC is, isn't rolling out this murderer's row of, of opponents. I think that the Big Ten, yeah, it looks a little bit w- like wacky right now, but I mean, all everyone does across well, the country. Like what, what, like what, who, who do you really have confidence in as like a second tier team that you really trust and believe in? None. Right. But so what's I the difference? Is Alabama- it SEC a second tier? Or, I think or Alabama already has a better win than any Ohio State can get. And I think if Clemson beats Notre Dame this week, it's going to have a and does it without its starting QB, by the way. I think Clemson has a more impressive win than any Ohio State's going to be able to get. If you're going to do Ohio State, it's going to have to be on style points because I agree. With look at the rest sure. of this. It's, it's Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Michigan. Those teams yeah. might might be four and four at best. So I've I've got Ohio State as my number one, and it is not at all with resume into consideration. It's just that they've done everything right. Like they have like done it lined up, taking control of games, won games handily. And if they just continue to do that and take care of business, then that's one of those where you just think on a, on a down to down, you know, on a, on a points per drive yards per play. Like you just, you, you almost start taking them and you, you put them in the vacuum because you're right. There's not going to be anybody in the big 10 that's going to be able to bolster a resume, but I could still look at him and be like, I don't know, man, with Justin Fields and those wide receivers and that defense getting after it. And I, I think that Ohio State's the best team in the country. All right, well, let me ask you this. If you've got Ohio State at number one because it's done everything right, what's Alabama done wrong? It's very little. I mean, I, I don't Ole have... Miss. I don't like, give it up. It over. Uh, that's the yeah. only game that really they've had in, 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 like that was surprising, you know? I would say that they gave that they're all that their defense looked vulnerable, but that was against an offense which is shredding almost everybody in the SEC. You know, so like that would be the one nitpicking thing you could say. And Uh, I mean, I'm more impressed with what Alabama's done over a much larger sample size to this point than what Ohio State's done in two. And that's what I I don't argue that. I I, and and I think that's fine. That's fair. And like, if 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 Ohio State never gets above three the rest of the way, um, I don't. I think that's fine too. It's I just going to be settled in the but, playoff, right? But I do, I do think that Ohio State, to me, I think Ohio State has the ability to earn its way up to number one based on just what it looks like on the field. I think I'm, I'm comfortable with elevating Ohio State based on what it looks like because, just like the committee, I got some, I got some pretty Good ass eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I think their best chance of jumping. Clemson and uh, um, and Bama is wreaking havoc, like just wrecking every opponent, as opposed to hoping that Michigan finishes strong and Penn State finishes strong, 
And, you know, like I think that's their better case is just annihilating their schedule and just being a wow factor as opposed to, oh, that Penn State win looks better now at the end of the season than it did at the time. Speaking of uh, Michigan, how are they still ranked after losing uh, Michigan State? I don't know. I mean, I understand why it's ranked. It's just I don't understand why it's ranked when some other teams aren't. Like, why is Michigan ranked but Northwestern isn't? You know what I mean? Because Northwestern's 2-0. and It absolutely demolished the Maryland team that beat the Minnesota team that Michigan beat. Meanwhile, Michigan just lost at home to a Michigan State team that lost to Rutgers the week before. So if you want to keep Michigan in your top 25 based on your feelings of it before the season and you're ready, not ready to say, well, one game's, you know, I'm knocking it off the ballot completely, fine. I get it. But Northwestern needs to be under ballot. Yeah, I think that you there should be wild. If you're doing rankings right Ooh, at this stage. Pretty, pretty ass highs, pretty ass ballots. There should be wild swings mm-hmm. in, in the early going. And right now is the early going in the Big Ten. And so I don't think that we should pretend to know what Michigan is uh, and, and we should stick to their preseason rankings because right now, they, if anything, they, like, they, like there's, no, there's no way that resume, two-game resume, is a, is a top 25 resume. Um, and now maybe, again, like it could all change. Michigan State maybe is really good. Maybe Michigan State's the a top 15 team. That just got unlucky wild. with seven <laughs> with seven turnovers against Rutgers, but I don't think that's the case, and there's no reason we should. Uh, you you wrote about Jim Harbaugh in Michigan in the morning after Tom. The we we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and so the the back and forth, and we've got a, a lot of mailbag uh, questions that have come in about Jim Harbaugh. A lot of Michigan fans listen to the show, and we have discussed the. The difference between, you know, the way that he's viewed internally, the way it's discussed externally, Jim Harbaugh walks out of that Michigan State loss. And I think that the the messages and the commentary from a lot of people that are not as plugged into the program look at these losses to uh, obviously Ohio State, but then also these losses to Michigan State that have cropped up along the way. And they are... Uh, just bewildered at why there doesn't seem to be more demand for change at the head coaching position. Do you, at, without even looking ahead necessarily to, you know, like a will he, won't he, like how, how do you approach that and how do you try to translate that for some fans that are a little bit less familiar with the fan base and with the, the school? It's, I think, I think the best way to put it is that the expectations for what is great at Michigan from the outside are the same expectations that we would put on what's great for anybody. Like, you know, getting to the college football playoff, winning national titles. You know, that's why we think Alabama is great. Clemson is great. Ohio state is great. Oklahoma just outside that tier, because at least it gets to the playoff. I don't think that's what the ultimate goal was at Michigan. I think that they'd love, they'd love to have it if it's possible. But as we've talked about, Michigan wants to do things on its terms. It, doesn't want to get involved in the talent acquisition kind of stuff that you kind of have to do sometimes to get, you know, the top players. And I don't mean like cheating or paying them. I just mean from an academic standpoint, there are some players Michigan is just not going to accept that other schools will based on their grades. It's not to say that they don't relax their requirements for student athletes. They do. 
but there's only so far that they're willing to go. And I think that at Michigan, they want to win, but it's like I wrote in the column, the whole, you know, I've seen it get used against him. The whole, you know, those who stay will be champions thing that Bo Schembechler said. Well, when Schembechler said that, he wasn't talking about national titles. Like Michigan's won one national title in the last 70 years in 1997. It's not like this is a program that's been glorified and winning tons of national titles year in and year out. What Bo Schembechler was talking about was winning Big Ten titles. That's where I think that the ultimate goal is for Jim Harbaugh. They want him to be competing for Big Ten titles, but at the same time, I think that at Michigan, there's an understanding that the program now is in a much better position than it was when they hired him. And that for a large part, Harbaugh has accomplished what they wanted him to accomplish in getting them out of the mess that was the Rich Rod Brady Hoke era and at least getting them back to a spot where they're winning 10 games a year or winning nine games a year. There is no bottoming out. There hasn't been the, the highs of the highs that they want yet. But as I wrote in the column, I think at some point we need to adjust. Is that Michigan failing to meet expectations or is that just a byproduct of Ohio State being really freaking good and nobody really being able to compete with them? Because the only teams in the country that could compete against Ohio State on a regular basis are Clemson and Alabama and maybe Georgia if it gets its act together and maybe Oklahoma and maybe Oregon's getting out its way there. But right now, those are the only three teams. And I think that it works against Michigan that they just so happen to be one of the three greatest teams in the country's, you know, bitter rival. And it get, they get hammered over the head with it, whereas nobody else in the Big Ten is beating Ohio State either. But you don't hear them saying that they need to fire their coach because they can't beat Ohio State. And I think that's the conundrum Harbaugh faces because he was such a big name and it was such a high profile hire. And when it happened, there was like a, there was very much a level of expectation placed on it that I don't think was realistic. And since he's not meeting those unrealistic expectations, everybody outside's like, well, when are they going to fire him and bring in somebody who can? It's like, I don't think those are the expectations in, in Ann Arbor. I don't think at the school that's what anybody was expecting. They expected what they're getting. They'd like a little more, but they don't require it. So, but then you can't lose to Michigan State. No, you can't. So that's the thing. Like, yeah, I agree with you. So then, all right, but just make sure you're handling your business against Michigan State. You're not going to beat Ohio State. All right. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's too much to ask. And that's why it's a bad loss. But it's at the, it's like you hear, like you saw on Saturday, it's like, oh, you know, like the, the whole. This is the beginning of the end. Up. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not, man. It's just, it's a bad loss. But. They've also beaten Michigan State the last few years. This was just unexpected. It's not like the floor fell out from them. This, like we talked about it before the season, like last year was supposed to be the year that if they were taking the step forward, they were going to do it. They had the senior quarterback. They were bringing in the new offense. They had a veteran-laden team. This year, we knew that there was going to be a whole bunch of new stuff there, and it was kind of a reset season. So they lost, and it's a bad loss. They were three touchdown favorites, though, as I said on the podcast all last week. They never should have been that large of a favorite in the game. But optically, it doesn't look good, but it's also a reset year. So I, I think ultimately what I tried to write in my column was that Michigan doesn't need to change its expectations. It's the rest of the country needs to change its expectations of Michigan. I don't, I, I don't know that I, – I don't disagree with what you're saying, though I don't know how much a reset year really is, is – um, like I don't know how much, the, how much rope that buys them. Like – it's, I mean, everybody has to reload, you know, and everyone has to, uh, I mean, this is also year two with the same offensive coordinator. Um, and this is, this is a, you know, a year where this is Michigan state 
I mean, what kind of years are for Michigan State? Uh, so I, I think it's really important to see what how the seat, how they close the rest of the year. I'm not. I have no idea whether he's on the hot seat or not. I think his, but I think that this loss, because it was to Michigan State, and because this year is not a year that Michigan State should beat you, um, I do think loss is more meaningful than just a kind of a bad bad look. Um, but you know that I think that they can they can control their control their destiny in that way to a degree by just how 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 good they look the rest of the way. Don't you think if you're a Michigan, like I get the comparison that you're rival Ohio State, but if I was a Michigan fan, I would not compare because of some of the academic requirements. Don't you think it's similar to Notre Dame though? Like I think that would frustrate me. Like, and I know they don't play in the Big Ten and they're independent. They kind of have their own path, but they've been in a national championship game recently. They've made the playoffs and they have academic restrictions where they're kind of in that same class. And yet they're doing it. Now they have the advantage. They don't have to do it go but, through, going through Ohio State. But what has happened when Notre Dame has had to play the Ohio States and Clemsons of the world? They've gotten mm. exposed. Don't get mm. Brian Kelly on that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get Brian Kelly on that one. He's not in the mood today. He is not in the mood today. Did he have a fiery press conference today? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all the Notre, yeah, all the Notre Dame beat writers were like, ooh. It's uh, spicy. Spicy, was, spicy Brian Kelly uh, today. You know, I, my antennas were up because Barton, what you said about how he, there was a little cockiness, right? I mean, it's kind of like what Brian Kelly has been this year. So I was watching the game this weekend versus Georgia Tech, and I think they were up 10 at halftime, and he was doing his halftime interview. And he came up there. I forget who the reporter was. She asked him a question or something. And he, he wasn't bristly. He just said, you know what? He's like, we're going to come out. He's like, we're going to go down the field. We're going to score. We're going to get a stop. We're going to take control of the game. And like he was very – you don't hear coaches say that very often at the halftime interview. It's like, well, we got a lot of stuff we got to work on. He was very matter-of-fact. We're going to take control of this game. We're going to take the ball. We're going to go down the field. We're going to score. Like – it was there's a maybe there's a a new Brian Kelly. I'm telling you, man, I, I love it. it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So here's the uh, on today's press conference. I tweeted this out. Um, there were several. There were several sort of um, you know kind of spicy react, uh, comments that he made to, to some questions along the way. But one of the questions was something to the effect of you know what made you feel like Notre Dame Clemson back in their 2018 game was closer than the score appeared. Uh, he said a few things. He said, um, this, this is the quote that stuck out to me. <clears throat> I just felt like we had a lot of young players that were going to continue to grow in our program and we played an outstanding football team. People fail to recognize the next week they absolutely blitzed Alabama and nobody talked about the talent gap there. Nobody talked about the coaching gap there. They just talked about the talent gap and the coaching gap between the Notre Dame and Clemson game. I just felt like from the eye test and what I saw, that was my opinion. Really, all that matters is we get an opportunity to play Clemson this Saturday and compete against them. And who knows? It might not be the only time we play them this year. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so like he's it. even saying, you know what? We, we might lose on Saturday, but we're not losing anybody else. There's, you know, yeah. We're, we're going to win all the rest of these games, and we'll be in Charlotte. We'll get another crack at them. And I think he's just been like sitting there. Because here, like the past three years now, or two, I guess, he's been – you know, catching this, that line, like, oh, you guys are doing okay, Brian Kelly. Like, okay, Notre Dame, congratulations on your 10 win seasons. But when you play the big boys, like you did in 2018, you get exposed. <laughs> and I think that he's like sitting around being like, what are we even talking about? Like they just absolutely 
put it on Alabama one game later. We played them pretty close. A couple big plays here and there, and this game is a different story. They won the middle eight. And, like, I, I, I think that he's not he's, wrong. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, he's not wrong. And he so is I, a little I, wrong because I was saying that at the time. But you were saying what? At the <laughs> that time? game was after, closer. After Clemson, after, no, after Clemson, you know, destroyed Alabama the next week, I said the same thing. It's like, how come nobody's talking about Alabama the way they talked about Notre Dame? Well, there you go. You can get a Christmas card from Brian Kelly. <laughs> well, also <laughs> remember when Clemson was dominating uh, Notre Dame, all the Georgia players were on Twitter, and then they went and lost to Texas. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I I, I think, um, yeah, I think. Look, it's it's anyone that's compared to the big three here at any time. That's a tough task because they're better than everybody all the time right now. Uh, speaking of Texas. Has, has Tom Herman worked himself out of a tough spot with the win against Oklahoma State? Because I will say this, four games left on the schedule, I could see Texas winning out. I could I could see Texas winning every one of them. Did you, like, have you even looked at the box score? I could also, hold on. Texas game? I could also see Texas losing three of those games. I'm just saying that you're looking at Kansas State, Iowa State, um, and Kansas What's the fourth one? West Virginia. West, West Virginia. Virginia. Okay. They'll be favored every game. Is that fair? They'll be favored, but they're I all think they're, they're all coin flips. Iowa State. Those are all coin flip at games. Home. It's home. At I home, think they though. will be favored. They'll be favored. Yeah, I think it'll be small. It'll probably be a field goal, but I'll, they'll be favored. I'll be taking Matt Campbell as a dog. Do you so all right, does <laughs> yeah, Tom Herman like, enjoy this ride or do you see this crashing out? I, that's the thing. You don't know. It's Texas. At Texas, you're a week away from nothing. You know, like every single week, you could be in, heading for a disaster. You could be heading for something great. It's, we are betting it, on black at the roulette table with Tom Herman. Yeah, like it yeah. is incredible to think the different ways that this could go with three out. I mean, they could lose to Kansas, you know? I mean, anything is possible with these final four I games. Would, I, would, I mean, if, if I they could be there. <laughs> that's so <laughs> But if they could be hilarious State on Saturday playing like that compared to how Oklahoma State played, they could lose to Kansas. You know what it all sets up for? A, a, a great finish to the season and another year of Sam Ellinger with that extra year of eligibility <laughs> coming back, baby. Maybe that's why the kid opted out. Maybe our, our changes, that's why he decommitted. He's like, man, he sees the writing on the wall. It's not even going to affect him. Sam right. shot him Still. in Texas just said, let you know. Next year, you got to wrestle the job for no, me. That kid's uh, that kid's class of twenty twenty two. So we would we would it. need an we would need an additional pandemic. DK State already drafted him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, early line look ahead. Looking at week ten, um, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Georgia is a four and a half point favorite uh, against Florida, Texas at home against West Virginia, as we just mentioned. Six and a half point favorites. We, we are going to have the uh, the Pac-12 win totals coming up in a little bit. The Trojans, the debut of breakfast ball, 10 and a half point favorites against Herm and Arizona State. Hello, Sun Devils. Um, what, what's standing out to everybody? The under on that Pac-12 noon kickoff. I, <laughs> like the first half under. <laughs> I'm literally placing it right now. <laughs> What's what is the game and what's the t- what's the number? It is Arizona State and USC fifty eight and a half at nine a.m. local. I kind of like the first half under even better than the total, just in case they wake up in the second half. That's when their bodies start getting used to it. But man, that first half is going to be ugly. 
Is it is it in um, L.A. or is it in Arizona? L.A.? Yeah, and there's like, isn't there kind of that like uh, early morning like fog in, yeah. in Southern California? It can be pretty <laughs> chilly in the morning before that sun burns the fog off. Oh, yeah, that sounds no fun. Nope. I got. I'm that gonna place. give uh, major coaching advantage to Herm in terms of who can get their team motivated for that uh, that 9 a.m. kickoff. Sun Devils, double digit dogs. Yeah, early up lean. seven and a half, pretty quick too. Uh, uh, speaking of bets that have already been placed, mm-hmm. Army Air Force Service Academy game, get on the under right now. Total opened at 40, 41 and a half. It's already down to 40 and a half at some places. They're clearly catching on because the totals are getting lower. But for those of you who are a little scared of betting the under when it's that low, last year's total was 44 and a half between these two. They scored 30 points. The year before that, it was 41 and a half. They scored 31 points. The year before that was, let's see, 54 and a half. They scored 21 points. That's before that, ridiculous. Before that, it was 46 and a half. They scored, they scored th- uh, 43. So that that's higher than this total. But the year before that, in 2015, it was 15 and a half. They scored 23 points. Um, let's see. Any other games stand out to y'all from the board? Yeah. Clemson, Notre Dame opened up two and a half. It's already up to Clemson minus five and a half. Mm. Even with uh, the new Brian Kelly, irritated. I'd like to see that. I hope that gets another. Hope that gets a six, six and a half. I, I would. I'd like. I'd like a little more value on Notre Dame. Uh, Ohio State, Rutgers. It, I don't. It's off for some. Thirty-seven was the open. Do you take the Knights again, Fernelli? Do you jump on them as a dog? Money line. <laughs> <laughs> I pro- you know what? That's a big number. I think I might. That's, that's a huge number. I might. This ain't, hey, this ain't, Leeds just scored. It's a new era. Leeds scored? Yep. Mr. Rogers. There we Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, uh, big, biggest storyline in college football this week is the kickoff, midweek kickoff of the MAC. Yes, we got Wednesday. We got uh, Buffalo, the Bulls beginning their march to uh, Group of Five playoff berth uh, with Northern Illinois, ten and a half point favorites there. I might, so you're I, saying they're they're going to finish five and zero? Oh and <laughs> just what are they get? Are they getting six? What are they? How many games are they getting in? Where they're required? Did you see the declare a champion? The required three games. That's it. Is the requirement? Just get in three and you're good. You can claim the the championship. The, the nice thing about the Mac starting on Wednesday is that current forecasts <gasps> call, calling for a lot of wind across the Midwest oh. on Wednesday. It's going to yeah. be a windy Wednesday in the Mac. Love it. The whole league is playing, right? Two, three, yeah. four. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. And they start at like six Eastern, so... <laughs> Blind. Yeah, that, that's like that feels like a like a holiday or something. <laughs> Are we gonna do a live live podcast live we, show for the action? We might I should. Might, I might parlay all six unders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, we can't give out any locks, but uh, just take all the information that you know about this podcast. Take Buffalo, lay them the points, and take the under in every single one of these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Up next, Pac-12 win 
totals. We'll be previewing the season ahead in the Pac-10. Uh, we will not get to MAC win totals, but we are just on all of the uh, all the all the MAC and unders uh, until proven otherwise. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.